right, guys, welcome back to our teaching in the book of Exodus. Now, the last time we were here, we were in chapter 32, as we had come to an end where Moses had received uh, the commandments from the Lord and instructions for the building of the tabernacle, inclusive of the priesthood and how the priesthood would be consecrated to serve in the tabernacle on behalf of the people. All of this has come to a conclusion. And it was at this particular time, as Moses had been gone for 40 days, 40 nights, the people had uh, become impatient in waiting for Moses. And so they came and approached Aaron and asked Aaron to build a golden image for them. This would symbolize the presence of God amongst the people. And we talked about all of this in the last verse, I'm sorry, <laughs> the last video in exactly what the people were trying to do, not so much as create another God, but make an image likened uh, from their imagination, likened unto the true God. And this became idolatry. Okay. So they approached Aaron to do all of these things. Aaron did all of this. Then he pronounced a feast unto the Lord. And we talked about all of that again in the previous video, check it out, made a feast to the Lord. And it was at this point that God was aware of all that the people had done and were doing in this, in the worship of God through this idol, which literally becomes a worship of the idol itself. And he commanded Moses to go down because the people had corrupted themselves and had quickly turned aside from the commandment of God. That is the very second commandment that God had given uh, reference in Exodus chapter 20. And so God had said to Moses that he was angry enough to destroy the people, but nevertheless, Moses interceded on behalf of the people. They had no idea. He interceded on behalf of the people that God should uh, uh, relent from his burning anger. Do not destroy the people because even God had promised, had said unto Moses that he would make of Moses an even greater nation than they. But Moses, again, as we said, interceded for the people and God relented from his destruction. So as we get ready to come into this next uh, section, the final section, what we're now going to see is basically the consequence for the setting up or the making of this golden calf. OK, and so we're going to see the consequence in the anger of Moses and the judgment upon the people now. This should be, for the most part, pretty quick. So let's just simply get into uh, verse number 19 and deal with uh, the consequences of making the calf. All right. It came about as soon as Moses came near the camp that he saw the calf and the dancing. And Moses' anger burned and he threw the tablets from his hands and shattered them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf which they had made and burned it with fire, ground it to powder, and scattered it over the surface of the water, and he made the sons of Israel drink it. Okay, so now we see what? Okay, it, it is almost comical. Moses, when God became angry to the point that he wanted to destroy the people, we remember that Moses interceded on behalf of the people that God should not do that. But what we don't, we don't understand, what Moses didn't understand at that time 
is really the nature of their sin. That, that is, let me say it this way. Our God is a holy God. God is holy in the absolute sense of holiness. No sin at all. And we can't quite relate to sin in the same way that God does. Now, although we have the spirit of God and we can understand the repugnant nature of sin, but we don't still see sin like God. But what I'm trying to say is this Moses, when God had first made him aware of Israel's sin, Moses interceded. He wasn't trying to water down the sin, but he was not aware in himself of Israel's sin, especially not like God, as I was, as I was just saying. But once Moses began to come down that mountain, he becomes aware of their sins and he himself began to feel that pathos, that anger, righteous anger and righteous indignation. He felt what God felt when he came down the mountain. So what does he see? He comes down the mountain there. His faithful servant Joshua is waiting on him there. And he and Joshua coming down the mountain. Remember Joshua had earlier talked about, it sounded like the noise of war in the camp. And Moses said, it's not the war of a people winning over their enemies or, or the sound of people losing to their enemies. It's the sound of partying and having a good time. The sound of music, noise of a dance. This is what I hear. So Moses' attitude is already bad coming down the mountain. As soon as he comes down the mountain, what does he see? The first thing he sets eyes on is this stupid calf that the people, Aaron, his brother, had made. And then he sees the dancing. Remember we talked about when he said the people, we talked about this in the last video, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And the whole point of all of this was the sense of sexual immorality. The people have brought themselves to a low point of shame. So you can imagine the lustfulness, the sexuality, you remember, because oftentimes in the worship of idols, it will always be devolved into some form of sexual immorality anyway. So the dancing, the people doing it. So there is Moses and Joshua looking at it. So what does he do? He takes in anger. Remember, he had those two tablets that God had written on both sides with his own finger symbolizing the covenant that God had with his people. So what does he do? He takes those tablets and he breaks them at the base of the mountain. He breaks them. Speaking of what? As Israel has broken their covenant so soon with God, Moses breaks the tablet. Then he, he focuses on that golden calf. He takes it, burns it, grinds it to fine powder and sprinkles the dust of that fine powder on the stream that's running down from the base of the mountain. And he forces Israel to drink of this. And this is the idea of drinking the consequence of their sins. And in drinking the consequence of their sins, it will ultimately yield. And we'll see this in two places. It will ultimately yield in death. The wages of sin is death. The consequence of sin, the consequence of their actions, the consequence for their idolatry will end in death. 
drinking in the wrath of God. For what did God say even earlier? Exodus chapter 20 again, for I, the Lord, am a jealous God. God has no others besides him. But anyway, so that's what he did with that when he came down from the mountains. Let's continue. Verse 21. Then Moses said to Aaron, what did this people do to you that you have brought such great sin upon them? Aaron said, do not let the anger of my Lord burn. You know the people yourself that they are prone to evil. For they said to me, make a God for us who will go before us for this Moses the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. I said to them, whoever has any gold, let them tear it off. So they gave it to me and I threw it into the fire and out came this calf. <laughs> Every time I read that. <laughs> but anyway, so what? So now remember that, uh, Moses left Aaron and her in charge of the people. So Aaron is predominant and remember Aaron is the high priest as well. So Aaron is left in charge of the people. So Moses turns to Aaron, uh, holding Aaron to account, asking Aaron, what in the world is going on? What happened? And notice how Moses said it. What did this people do to you? In other words, Moses saying, I know they had to threaten you or something, for you to allow this to happen, what in the world happened? Did, did they make you do this or something? What is going on? Give an account to yourself. And so Aaron, <laughs> and the sense of it all is, Aaron does not take responsibility for any of, the, any of these things that are going on, right? He blames it on the people. Then later on, he blames it on the fire. But watch what he does. So, as Aaron speaks to Moses, we can see that Aaron is clearly afraid and we can also see the respect that he gives his brother. Notice what he said. Do not let the, the anger of my Lord burn. The my Lord that Aaron is, whom Aaron is referring to is Moses when he calls him Adoni. And so he, which is Hebrew, my Lord. Okay. So he is giving great respect to his brother saying for his brother, asking him, don't be angry with me, please. Then he says, you know. Now, when he says that, you know, in verse number 20, actually, he says, he says, Ata yada'at, yada'at, I believe that's the pronunciation of that. That is, he's giving an emphasis when he says, you know, to say, you yourself know. In other words, you know these people just like I know these people. What, what do you know about them? They are prone to evil. And that speaks of Israel's history throughout. From the moment of their adoption by God at the foot of the mountain, even until the first destruction of the temple, even until the, sec the second destruction of the temple in 70 AD, after the ascension of Jesus, what can we say? The people are prone to evil, but we ain't going into all of that. He says, you know that. He said, what? Let's continue with Aaron. For they came to me saying, we don't know what has happened to your brother, this Moses, 
who brought us up from the land of Egypt. And again, the language of distancing this Moses, this man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt. But what make for us gods who will go before us? So he said, the people came and they asked me to make a God to go up before them because they didn't know what was happening. So I commanded the people to take off all of their gold earrings and their golden nose rings. And notice verse number 24, verse number 24 is the key. I told them to tear all of these things off. I threw it in the fire and the calf just jumped out. <laughs> now remember the scripture that the Bible said that Aaron fashioned and Aaron made the calf. But notice once again, how Aaron takes no responsibility for any of this mess that's going on. And he said, all I did was throw it in the fire and the calf just came out all by itself. <laughs> kind of takes my mind to Adam. When Adam said, you know, when God, God asked Adam, what have you done? And Adam said, you know, really, this is not my fault. This is your fault, God. Why? This is the woman you gave to be with me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so what happened? Aaron takes no responsibility. But now let me say this too. According to what is it, Deuteronomy 9, I think it's 9 in verse number 20, uh, Moses revealed later on because of Aaron's involvement in this incident, God wanted to kill him that day, but Moses also interceded for his brother Aaron and God relented in killing him. Okay, but let's keep on going. Let's keep on going. So it won't be too long. Now, when Moses saw that the people were out of control for Aaron had let them get out of control to be a derision among their enemies, then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered together to him. He said to them, thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, every man of you put his sword upon his thigh and go back and forth from gate to gate in the camp and kill every man, his brother, every man, his friend and every man, his neighbor. So the sons of Levi did as Moses instructed and about 3000 men of the people fell that day. First consequence. So what happens? So after Moses questioned Aaron about what, it, what he allowed to happen and Aaron took no responsibility. Now we see the consequence falling with respect to judgment. And this judgment was not, um, so much an expression of the anger of Moses, but it was a judgment. Uh, it was a preliminary. Notice what I just said. It was a preliminary immediate judgment from God himself. So Moses makes a statement and he said, and he asked the question, verse number 26, whoever is for the Lord let him come to me. And I like, and I like that in the Hebrew, but I'm not going to deal with the Hebrew, but I love the way that reads in the Hebrew. I like the way this entire section reads, but whoever is for the Lord come to me in the sense of whoever is on the Lord's side. 
let him come to me. And that's the idea of what he is saying. And immediately the, the sons, that is the tribe of Levi responded to Moses, which is an indication. It is a strong indication that the, in all of this foolishness that was going on in the camp, the sons of Levi, who we understand later on from the, it would be the tribe of Levi, who would be responsible for the care of the tabernacle. They would be the ones who would draw nearer to God than all of the other tribes of the people. They would be the tribe from the which the priests would come. Remember, Aaron is a, is a, a family in the tribe of Levi, okay? And the Levites would be the priests unto from, from the which the priest of Israel would come. But the point is, the Levites were not involved in this idolatrous mess, so they quickly responded to the call of Moses. And Moses commanded, notice what he said, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. So we see what? That this is a judgment from God himself. God is speaking to Moses. Moses is speaking to the Levites. Strap on a sword and go from house to house. And the point of it is this. All of those who, per notice now this is what I'm saying. Those who persist in this idolatrous rebellion against the commandments of God, everybody who will not repent, not relent, everyone who continues in this rebellion, you take your sword and you kill every single one of them. So this probably gives a sense too of the leaders in this rebellion as well. We can't be um, dogmatic about that, but the point of it all is the persistent sinners, the persistent sinners, the Levites were commanded to kill each and every one. So they went from house to house and the total sum of, uh, of the number is about 3,000 men were executed on that day. And as I said to you earlier, this is the preliminary early judgment that came from God. Remember what Moses said, thus saith the Lord God of Israel. Verse 28. So the sons of Levi did as Moses instructed at about 3,000. Okay, did that. 29, I'm sorry. Then Moses said, dedicate yourselves to the Lord for every man has been against his son and against his brother in order that he may bestow a blessing upon you today. On the next day, Moses said to the people, you yourselves have committed a great sin and now I am going up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. Let's stop there. Verse number 29. Verse number 20. Maybe one day I'll, I'll probably do some particular Hebrew studies in Hebrew grammar, but it is a very interesting uh way that is actually written in Hebrew, the grammar of that. But okay, but, but I'm not going to get into that. I don't want to confuse you. So what happens? Moses said to those Levites who responded to him to strap on the sword and kill all of the, re con the uh, persistent rebellious sinners to dedicate yourselves to the Lord today. In other words, set yourself apart in some type 
of a dedicatory, dedicatory fashion because they have done the work of the Lord in the killing of their brothers. So the work that they actually did was a holy work and they themselves are to set themselves apart unto the Lord. Okay, so there is some sense of setting themselves apart because of what they had just done in the slaying of all of those people. And that's quite a few people, 3,000 men, to be killed in this way. And so what happens on the next day, after all of this has transpired, Moses then spoke to the people, saying to them that they have committed a great sin in the sight of the Lord, and therefore he has needs to go up to the mountain to intercede for them. Now that Moses sees just how awful that sin, you remember how Moses interceded before God in early in the beginning when he was on the mountain. Now he sees how awful it truly is. He now understands the need to go back up to the mountain once again and intercede for the people in hopes perhaps the Lord will cover, will forgive their sins. Okay, and that's what the idea of atonement, it comes from the Hebrew word, which means to cover. Now let's look at the final response from Moses and God. Then Moses returned to the Lord, 31, and said, Alas, this people has committed a great sin, and they have made a God of gold for themselves. But now, if you will forgive their sin, and if not, please blot me out from your book, which you have written. The Lord said to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. But go now, lead the people where I told you, behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I punish, I will punish them for their sin. Then the Lord smote the people because of what they did with the calf, which Aaron had made. Now let's talk about it. So finally, what happened? So Moses goes back up to the mountain and he says unto the Lord, he intervenes for the people that the people have committed a great sin. He's not telling God what he does not know. He just simply laying the sin before the people. If you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins. He is simply confessing the sins of the people because it was God who made Moses aware that the people had sinned in this manner in the first place. So he confesses the sin of the people. And then he asked the, asked the Lord to forgive them of their sins. And then he says this, he says, forgive them of their sins. But if you don't forgive them of their sins, then blot me out of the book that you have written. Now, this, oh man, you, it, this can be confusing. What is he talking about this book that you have written? Now, I don't want to deal with try to identify all of the particular identifications for this book. So I'm thinking maybe the book that deals with the numbering of the sons of Israel even to those who will go into the promised land, the numbering of the sons of Israel who will go into the promised land. And some think it to be, and this is what I actually believe it to be, the book of life, the book of life. But one thing we do know, this is the first mention in scripture 
that we have of this particular book, you know, from Genesis Exodus. This is the first mention that we have of this book that is written. Okay. And this book seems to be the book of life. Now, I don't want to get into all of the differences and the distinctions because, okay, let me just simply say it this way. Let me simply say it this way. So you won't be confused. There are two predominant books. Okay. Well, three <laughs> book of works, book of life, lamb's book of life. But with respect to the book of life, you have the book of life and the lamb's book of life. The book of life, it, it, it seems to suggest, here's the idea. All the, every, every name of an individual who was born is written in the book of life and written in the book of life. If that individual dies and this individual has not received God, that is, is not faithful to God, is not in a relationship with God, or we'll just simply say it this way, is not saved, such an individual's name is taken out, blotted out of the Lamb's book of, I'm sorry, of the book of life, of the book of life. You got it? If, you, if there's a failure to establish a relationship with God before death, the name is removed. All right. Now, the Lamb's book of life is different and unique. Why? The Lamb's book of life is pre-written before the universe was created. Notice when the Bible talks about this, was it Revelation, was it 13? And I think possibly 17. The Lamb's book of life before when? The foundation of the world. Before the world was created, names were written down and it was in the Lamb's book, people whom God, John chapter six, people whom God would give to his son. These names are permanently etched, unremovable or irremovable, whichever one it is, never to be removed, never to be erased, impossible to be erased. These are the elect, those who have been predestined, those who have been chosen from the foundation of the earth to be given to Jesus as a gift from God. Okay. Though this, this is what we call, call predestination. And yes, the scripture does speak of that, but nevertheless, so this book of life that we are speaking of here, that Moses is speaking of here is not the lamb's book of life, but the book of life. That is names that can be erased if the individual fails to come to a saving relationship uh, with God by the end of his life. And this is what is going on. But nevertheless, uh, Moses makes a strong gesture and request that if God refuses to forgive Mo Moses, he under it's clear that he understands God's love for him himself. Moses understands that. And Moses clearly understands God's relationship with him, that personal 
that loving personal relationship that God has for Moses. So he uses that somewhat as a bargaining chip and says, if, if you don't forgive them, then blot me out of your book. He knows that God didn't want to blot, blot Moses, his servant out of his book. So he kind of uses that in a sense of trying to bargain with God with all that he has. That is what, what greater thing can Moses have than his own life? So he is willing, Moses is willing to sacrifice his own life for the sake of his rebellious people. This is an indication of the great love that Moses has for his own people. And we see an exact similarity of this. Now I'm in Romans chapter nine. When the apostle Paul talks about Israel, his brothers according to the flesh and how Paul says, I wish even myself to be what? Accursed from Christ for Israel's sake. That is, if it meant that I to be accursed from, okay, the bottom line, I don't want to get too emotional because I skip over stuff and go too fast. To be accursed from Christ, do you know what that means? It means not to have a relationship with Christ, to be cast away from Christ. Do you know what the ultimate end of a person who is cast away from Christ? Hell, even the lake of fire, eternal damnation. Paul says, I will suffer this fate if Israel would only come from, come to God. And so we see a similarity of this same thing with Moses, same with Paul, Moses and Paul, Moses is saying, what, if you don't forgive them, you know, then block me out of, out of the, your book of life. And here's Paul saying what, and I wish I would even suffer being a curse from Christ if it meant that Israel would be saved. But nevertheless, God responds. Let's go back to Exodus. He responds to Moses and says, no, I'm not going to block you out of my book of life, but the one who sins, that one will be blotted out of my book of life. Okay. And this is the one who's going to get blotted out. But nevertheless, the Lord says to Moses, what? Go on, lead the people. Okay, continue in your job that I have given you in leading the people. But God is now angry, and we see here, and determines to distance himself from the people. Notice what he says. My angel will go before you. And that word is malach which means my angel or my messenger. My angel, my messenger will go before you. That is, God is simply saying, lest I come in the midst of this people, I get so angry, I might destroy them in an instance. So you, I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm not going to go with them. I'm not going to go with you. And that, that's why later on, we're going to see Moses saying to God, if you don't go, don't lead us. Don't take us. If you don't go, then you don't go. And God will later on change his mind and go with them. But the point that we're seeing here is God's anger. And in his anger, he distances himself by sending his messenger 
to lead the people and not just simply the personal presence of God himself. Why? They have sinned against God. And even as Moses said, and even as God said, what a great sin against God in the sin of idolatry that God might consume them. Anger in an instance. So what happened? He said, okay, fine. Then he says what? Nevertheless, in the day when I punish. Now that word actually comes from the Hebrew word Picard. I like the way the whole segment reads in Hebrew, but in the day that I, I visit them, I will, when it says punish Picard, I will visit their sin upon them. I will punish them for their sin. So what is God saying? God is, so number one, we saw what? Preliminary and immediate judgment. Remember, strap on your, the Levites strapping on the sword and killed 3,000 men. That was immediate judgment for the persistent rebellious sinners. And then God says this, but I have not forgotten how the nation as a whole indulged in this sin and the anger of God still remained. And even though God may have forgiven them as Moses has requested, still his anger burned and a punishment will be extracted. And so what does God say? One day I will visit them for what they have done this day. And I'm going to punish them on that day. And then in a time, it doesn't state the specific day, but that's how the chapter ends in verse number 35. What? Then the Lord smote the people because of what they did with the calf that Aaron had made. Then one day it came to the mind of God it, as if in remembrance of his own anger and that righteous judgment that should come forth from his anger. And it doesn't say how God smote the people. It, I, that, that mean, and when it says the smoke, that means people died. It doesn't say how God killed the people and neither does it give the number of people that died when God visited their iniquities upon them. It didn't say any of that. It just simply said, God later on the idea remembered their sins and he brought the consequence, which is death. Again, notice what we keep saying that principle that is established that Paul said it so succinctly. What for the wages of sin is death and God brought death upon his people. All right, let's stop there. All right. Thank you guys for joining me. With that, so what did we see? We saw finally the consequences. There was immediate consequence and there was later consequence. But you know what? Before I end the video, let's talk about a practical thing. And I won't be long at all with this point, but it is something for consideration because the Bible, what is Paul saying in 1 Corinthians chapter 10? All of these things happen to them for examples unto us to whom the ends of, 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 of the age is given unto. So what should we learn from these things? Number one, and I don't, okay, I, I'm so tempted to just get into it and get into it and get into it. But what we do see is this, number one, as far as election salvation is concerned, uh, and I wanna talk about Aaron, 
and I want to talk about Aaron, there is all indication, even that though Aaron did sin, Aaron did sin, Aaron still was a believer because even after this incident, Aaron is still to be made high priest. So even after this, so Aaron is yet saved, but nevertheless, Aaron has sinned. And even later on, we'll get into Numbers chapter 20, and that's way down the road. And Aaron, along with Moses, sin again. And Aaron is not, along with Moses, is not prohibited to go into the land of promise. And Aaron is later on, he dies. He dies during the wilderness wandering. He dies as a consequence of his own sin, judgment from God. And that's the point that I want to bring about here is that we need to be mindful you know, all throughout these passages, even here. And as we move throughout the text, we're going to see God's people sin against God. And we're going to see God's hand in discipline and judgment. And oftentimes in the discipline and the judgment that God brings on his people is death. My point is, my point is, as Christians, and th this is what God is teaching us also in the text. As Christians, we often want to think that when we sin, there is no consequence for sin in that Jesus bore all consequences for sin. That's not the case. Jesus bore the ultimate consequence for sin. That is eternal death and eternal separation from God. However, the chastising hand, the disciplining hand of God remains even though we sin just because we, we, can, we can, like Moses, went to God and pleaded for God's forgiveness and God will grant such forgiveness. That does not mean there is never a discipline a, a response from God for our sins. And we see this even as the writer of Hebrews speaks of what is in either chapter 12, I believe it is in chapter 12, when the Hebrews talks about, uh, as he actually quoting from the book of Proverbs, how God disciplines every son whom he receives. Notice God is not, what does he continue to say? God for everyone whom God does not discipline, such a one is a bastard, is an illegitimate. You don't belong to God. But whoever truly belongs to God, God disciplines. And again, as Paul talked, I'm back in 1 Corinthians again, actually in chapter 10, Paul said, now we know that all our fathers were under the cloud. All of them drank of the spiritual drink and they ate of the spiritual bread. And they, 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 this, that rock, that spiritual rock that they drank from, it was Christ. But God was not pleased with them for he, he proved his displeasure by allowing their carcasses to fall in the wilderness. That is, God killed them. And what Paul is talking about is God's punishing of their sins with death with death 
and notice the idea of what Paul was talking about in 1 Corinthians 10 is he's given the sense of the ones who perished. These are not ones who were the, the ones who were just simply, simply unsaved, but this included those who were saved. That's what Paul is trying to talk about in 1 Corinthians 10 because I might as well, because actually what he's doing in 1 Corinthians 10, he's bringing the, he's bringing the, from chapters 8, 9, and 10, in the point in being sensitive towards your brother, and that is eating food that is sacrificed to idol. Won't get into all of that. But the point he's talking about is being sensitive to the weak consciences of your brother. And, and if you fail to be insensitive to these things, you yourself might even fall into judgment. You who are saved may fall into the disciplinary hand of God. How do I know? He says, because we look back into the Old Testament and what do we see? Those whom God, who experienced the spiritual things of God, they themselves fell under the disciplinary hand of God. So all of these things and what I am trying to say to you, the practical nature of what we should see, even as is indicated in Aaron, we can even see this with Miriam. Later on, we're gonna get that, was it Numbers? Was it chapter 11, 16 or something to that effect? As she uh, 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 had an issue with Moses, Okay, and we saw what the disciplinary hand of God upon Miriam. My point to you, I understand that we can uh, confess our sins, but do not ever think that there is no responsive hand of discipline from God. Notice how it ends when in this very text. What did God say? In the day that I visit them. I will visit their sins upon them. And it's here translated, punish them. God disciplines his children. And although we ourselves may sin and repent, do not think that there is never a consequence for our sins. God will discipline, but he disciplines us not in the sense of simply punishing us, but in the sense of forming us, sanctifying us, making us into the image of his dear son. And how does he do this? He does this by strong chastisement. And that's what I'm trying to say. So beware that as Israel was disciplined for her sins, we too can be disciplined for our sins, even to the point of death itself. And then, and no, the point that I'm saying to you guys is this, is not saying that you weren't even saved. You are saved and God can still bring a judgment, a discipline, even to the point of death on you. So. How should we look at these things? To be fearful. Yes, my God loves me. I know God loves me. And how much do, how do I know that? Do you see Jesus on that cross? That's how much he does love me. But at the same time, my God is a holy God. 
and my God is a consuming fire. And the beginning of wisdom is to do what? Fear the Lord. And I need to always remember, now all right now, God loves you and yes, God will forgive you. What did John say again? That if you confess those sins, he's faithful, he's just. But what does all of the scripture teach? That God's hand will discipline you. It could be immediate or it could be even later on in your life when God remembers those sins. So be careful how we live before a holy God. All right, enough preaching on all of that. Thanks for joining me, guys. Join me next time as we continue either in the book of Exodus or in the prophecy of Jeremiah. See you then.